Morning Liberty. Hey, uh, is this thing on? It is on this time, yeah. Oh, man. We started this show like five minutes ago, at least 30 times. And we had trouble hitting the record button for some reason. I, you know, it's been a while. We missed yesterday. We did. And so I guess during it, it, during that time, the one extra day, I forgot how to run this recording software. Well, it sounds like I need a new engineer. Well, you can work on that if you want to, but <laughs> you're not going to get anyone to do the things that I do right I know. here. Which is tell people to subscribe to the podcast. Well, what podcast is this? This is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. We're here telling you about liberty every single day. Life, liberty, and our pursuit of meaning that is our goal so you guys want to hit subscribe tell your friends to subscribe you know share the show hit that little button that way we send our show directly to your phone and you don't have to worry about going on looking for it every single day so if you do that we sure would appreciate it it doesn't matter what app you're on just hit subscribe and all those episodes will come to you it's got to be your favorite podcast it is i think it's definitely the number one liberty podcast out there it it, it is yes yeah so go Go just listen every day. That's, <laughs> that's what we need from you. That's what we should make our tagline. What are we uh, number one Liberty podcast? What are we talking about today? Well, we got a few things on the docket for today. Um, a few things like, well, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, introduced this bill over the weekend quietly uh, amidst all of the talk about impeachment, which apparently we're going to have to talk about for the next year. Um, she introduced this new bill called A Just Society, which is... Um, basically a, a bunch of terrible, terrible economic ideas uh, that she forgot to put in the Green New Deal. Oh, so okay. this goes ahead and it rounds out the rest of them that way because she forgot some of her other terrible ideas and had to put <clears> them, <throat> even took her six different um, acts or bills inside of this one bill, just a massive plan. So, so now... She's full socialist. Oh, it's all the way there. Yeah, yeah all the way. But we're we, going to get to that yeah. in a second. We Let's... also uh, have to talk about um, a little bit about this court case. The Supreme Court might be hearing this case of a vision-impaired man who is suing Domino's because their website uh, is not accessible for, for the blind. Hmm. Suing them, and it, it can go all the way to the Supreme Court. So you, you didn't call him blind at first. You said visually impaired. Yeah, they. He uh, in one of his quotes, he said it's really hard for a blind and visually impaired person, um, as if those are potentially two. You know, maybe I guess you could be impaired still be able to see a little bit. Like so my, that's like, kind of like my mom. So this guy's blind and visually impaired. Yeah, his sight is like AOC's vision of economics. <laughs> it's just non-existent. Yeah, it's not there and at all. And it's impaired. Yeah, and he, yeah, and he couldn't. And it's impaired. It's, it's like, too double whammy. It's like arching your back while keeping it flat at the same time. Yeah, they're not opposing ideas at all. No. Yeah, no. Um, so he's suing Domino's because their website uh, is is not accessible to the blind. It probably is now, but we got to make sure we get this money. Right. And then we we also have to talk about. I guess what we can talk about first is this thing. Some with, good thing. <clears throat> this is really really good. This is a good news thing. I can't believe it's not further out there. I think probably the the hatred was blown up, and then this response is probably barely getting anything i would say I so would we're going to bring it to you guys well um so this weekend the dallas cowboys played the green bay packers um or at least the green bay packers were playing a game and the, some of the cowboys attended yeah and um well, ellen showed up about midway through the third quarter yeah yeah they were they got there late got well, there most late. people don't know nate and i are huge cowboys fans and so 
the reason why we didn't have a show yesterday, we were just depressed. Yeah, honestly, was it. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had work to do too, but it, the depression was was deep. We don't need we to make a show schedule. You guys just need to see whether or not the Cowboys won or lost. <laughs> and if it's a Monday afterwards, then we're not going to be here. Right. Uh, we just won't be able to. Um, it's been 21 painful years. <laughs> so up in the box, up in the Jerry Jones's box, um, sat former President George W. Bush. And right next to him was Ellen DeGeneres. Now, she's hilarious. Current talk show host. Yeah. I've always thought she was hilarious. <laughs> she has a great show. She always seems, she's always seemed very positive. Like, uh, you never see, like, really super controversial stuff come from the Ellen show. Right. You know, it's, like, always really feel-good, happy kind of stuff. She's so, a great comedian, too. Yeah, no, she she really is. And so she was sitting next to George W. Bush, and, of course... Um, Twitter just went crazy about this. They, they posted a picture of them, or they, I guess, shot a video of them on the Jumbotron, which somebody snapped a picture of. Yeah, well, and she posted a picture. Uh, she posted a video, video right. yeah, with, with him in it. And, and what people, was some of the backlash? Well, I mean, it was just a tweet hatred storm well, backlash. Basically, it was just a lot of people saying that, you know, George W. Bush, he was anti LGBTQ while he was while he was the president, and how can you be sitting next to him? He's a terrible person. Plus, all the people that died in the Iraq War and and all these things, you know, you you can't be sitting next to him. That's hypocritical. All, all these things. So, she had a really really good response to this, which was basically that even though she has disagreements with people or different views, that that she can still be friends with people and still still interact with people. Right. <clears throat> so uh, we were actually going to go ahead and play her response because I thought it was, it's really important because it's a way that I think we should all approach this situation all the time. Unfortunately, we don't. We, we're kind of drawing a line in the sand uh, with people that we disagree with where maybe someday we're going to have to come to, you know, violence with them is kind of what you see on, online all the time. Right. So her there's mentality this, like, on deep, this is beautiful. There's this deep seated hatred that happens with people you disagree with. And that's completely the wrong attitude to have is, you know, with this podcast being about life, liberty and pursuit of meaning within life and the pursuit of meaning, um, you can't grow resentment towards anyone that you disagree with. Because then it's just a miserable life. Yeah, and and added to that, if you ever want to move forward, we say this a lot with libertarians or people who are more liberty-minded, our goal has to be to get people to accept our viewpoints or come even to our way of thinking. And you're not going to do that through hatred ever. You're never going to force that on people. No. Uh, you can only do that by being amicable with them and talking with them and and laughing with them and, and all these things. You know, you can't just do that through violence, which is what it looks like online all the time. Just like, you know, we didn't bomb Iraq into democracy. Yeah, it didn't, didn't work. <laughs> didn't work all that well. Those things don't work. We, uh, so. We'll keep trying, though. We'll keep trying with a bunch of different countries, I'm sure. Yeah. So uh, here here's Ellen's response. It's a it's. It's a couple minutes all together. We'll, we'll see what we got here. But during the game, they showed a shot of George and me laughing together. And uh, so people were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11. And, uh, <laughs> but a lot of people were mad, and they did what people do when they're mad. They tweet. And, uh, but here's one tweet that I loved. This uh, person says, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. And, um, exactly. Here's the thing. I'm 
friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but but I'm friends with people who wear fur. And I, I'm friends with people who are furry, as a matter of fact. I have <laughs> friends who should tweeze more. And I, I have, but just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not gonna be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it's so good. It's good. I mean, such a great message. There was this whole controversy too when uh, Lauren, uh, Laura Dangle, Lauren, Laura Dangle, Daigle. Daigle, yeah. Yes, Daigle. Laura Daigle. Uh, sorry, Laura. Didn't mean to mispronounce her name there. Like she listens to the show. Probably does. But, uh, but. What's up, Laura? There was a, there was a, <laughs> there was a controversy because she's a Christian artist or most well known as a Christian artist. And she performed on Ellen's show and all these Christians were like, how in the world could you ever perform on Ellen's show? And she was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah, Ellen's a great person because just because we disagree on things. Um, and this is the way you should look at life. Like hell, Nate and I disagree on a few things, almost everything we align with. And there's probably a couple things we disagree with in life, but that's okay. Because one thing that the left used to champion is diversity. And the thing is, is that we're, we are incredibly diverse. Even if you are the same sex, the same race, the same ethnicity, you are completely different than anyone else ever. Even if you have an identical twin, <laughs> there's there's a tough word that I'm not going to say there. Incremental? No. Oh. Intricacies. Oh, yeah, yeah. There are intricacies that you have with your identical twin that you that no one else has. You are a unique person with different beliefs, different ways of getting there, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think, you know, even the disagreements that we have that I honestly can't even think of them right now, but I know what I could say is we've focused on the things that we do agree about and we've put to so much weight behind the things that we agree on that I literally can't even think of things that we disagree on because all the focus is put on going towards the things that we agree on. And you can always find that with someone. It, even if you are on complete different sides of the aisle, there's one thing that you agree on. We always say, there's one thing we all agree on, which is that we want a better life for our children eventually, or I mm -hmm. want a better life for other people's children eventually. And that's something that we all want. I don't believe, I truly do not believe that people who are socialist want 100 million people to starve to death in the United States. I do not think that whatsoever. I think that they are supporting the ideology that they think can best serve the people in our population who need to be served. They are supporting what they think is the best thing for the most amount of people. And that's why they feel that way. Now, I vehemently disagree with every single way that they possibly want to get there, every single possible way that it is. But hey, let's build on the fact that we both have the same end goal, which is a better place for everyone. And then we can go from there. Yeah, I can guarantee you, as much as we bash AOC and Bernie Sanders, and we're getting ready to bash AOC's plan coming up here, we don't bash them as people. Uh, we bash their ideas because their ideas are really wrong um, and they're not good. But that's what public discourse is for. That's what the freedom of speech is for. For, for you to have public disagreements to get to the best policy for society. And that's part of the reason why we do what we do here. But the thing about it is, is that if I was ever invited to lunch with Bernie Sanders or AOC or any of them, I can guarantee you I would go. 
And I can guarantee you we'd probably laugh about something together. Probably. You know, there are, there are obviously maybe some heated discussions that we could get into uh, for things that we disagree with on all kinds of things. But I can guarantee you there's, there's going to be some kind of laughter shared because I'm hilarious. And uh, yeah. so <laughs> it was, was so hoping, funny, I forgot to get it. Yeah, I was, yeah, <laughs> I was hoping you'd back me up on that just a little bit. But, but anyway, there's something that we could agree on and talk about at worst case scenario, unless you're speaking to a psychopath. Almost everyone you talk to want, like Nate mentioned, they want the same end goal, which is the best for themselves and their family. Well, you could sit at a dinner with Bernie Sanders. And talk about your beliefs on criminal justice reform, something like that. And you guys, or maybe... Or pulling the troops out. Yeah, maybe our interventions on on the other side of the world. You guys could spend an entire dinner talking about things that you actually agree on, and even some of the same ways of getting there on some of those things. And that would be much more productive, because Bernie Sanders is super old, and you're not going to convince him uh, of any other kind of ways, but you guys could at least spend time talking about what you agree on and how you could actually get there. Uh, so, yeah, I just... The, the thing you want to avoid is building up the resentment and the hatred, because all that does is lead to violence, and that's a terrible thing. Well, it leaves only one option at the end of the day. Look at the way people talk to each other online. It's all done with one option left at the end of the conversation, which is when we see each other, we are going to have... A, a duel and one of us is going to die. That's how all the conversations are had online. But when I used to get in trouble as a kid, my grandmother in Louisiana would say, uh, you and I are going to go to fisticuffs. Yeah. I almost <laughs> said that earlier in the podcast, actually. Yeah. Fisticuffs. You and I are going to go to fisticuffs, young man. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Oh, man. <clears throat> so talking of... I told you of, I was funny. <laughs> speaking of going <laughs> to fisticuffs, um, AOC's new bill... We'll send you straight yeah, it to fisticuffs. This, if you wanted to talk to her about this, that's where that would lead. But this new bill, it is called, by the way, they just have the best ways of coming up with great names for bills. You know, the Freedom Act. What, you you oppose freedom? The Patriot Act. You're against freedom? <laughs> the Affordable Health Care Act. What, you don't you don't like affordable health care? You like expensive health care? The Dreamers Act. <laughs> yeah, just Oh, all, what, you're not a dreamer? All these things. So AOC's bill... Uh, is called a just society. It reminds me of like Justice League or, you know, yeah, gives you like that Marvel. Whereas it should be called a complete way to send the entire economy of the United States off the side of a cliff, Bill. That's what it, that's what it should be called. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's called a just society. Now, in this bill, there's a couple main points we'll talk about here. She wants to institute. Well, well, I would I want to say just first on the title. Yeah. That makes the assumption that we currently live in an unjust society. Yeah, right? it does. You, you would only want a just society if we were speaking from that term. So, yeah, you have yeah. to have that agreement that this is an unjust society. And look, we're not saying that there aren't uh, things that happen on a daily basis in the economy that, that aren't, I don't know, done justly. There are people who have a lot of money who did not earn that money justly. That, yes. That definitely exists. But I would also say there are things, because there's another word for just or unjust. It's the fairness word. Yeah. The old F word. <laughs> old, old. The older four-letter the, word. Older than the other one. <laughs> it's a fair one. And I want to say that it doesn't matter what policy you implement. There's never going to be a quote-unquote just or fair society. 
And the reason for that, there are several reasons for that. But even if you made everything as egalitarian as you possibly can across the board, unfortunately, like there's biological differences. Mm -hmm. There's height and weight differences. There's appearance differences. There's IQ differences, skill level differences. Some people speak, you know, 10 different languages. Some people, you know, two plus two is a little difficult for them. It is. That happens. We'll answer that at the end of the podcast. Right. (laughs) stay tuned (laughs) for that answer but it doesn't matter what kind of quote-unquote just or fair society that you try to map out in a policy it's never going to happen because there is no utopia so i just want to right there at the title i wanted to just get that across now i'm not saying we can't do better because i think you should always try to be better but this whole idea that there's a utopia that we're missing, it's not there. It but, never will be there. And the problem that we see when we decide that we want to have the government implement some type of just society in any of the things that they do is that really it just opens it up for a lot more unfair things to happen all the time. There's a right. lot more ways to game the system, and then they have control over the people who are going to follow the laws and regulations, and then the people who can buy their way out of it or write their own laws and regulations they don't have to it actually creates a more unfair system the more government you add into the picture yes and i want to say the same thing for libertarians or liberty-minded people there's no liberty utopia either the argument that we make and there's this great video that you showed me the other day where this professor is going over some economic theories on voters and milton freeman also a great economist who Uh, made this argument who said any time you have a market failure because people are people and they're going to fail if you move that into control of government all you're doing is shifting a market failure to a government failure and as liberty people we say it's better for people in the market to fail because they're more apt and ready to correct their errors than government ever will be because there's no incentive for them to correct their errors And so there's no utopia. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to make errors. People are going to be greedy no matter what. But in the market, there's an incentive to at least provide value to people and correct the errors and the mistakes that you make or the greedy biggest get called out and people stop doing business with them rather than the government having a monopoly on the things that they do. And there's no incentive for them to ever change because you don't have a choice. Yeah, and I think what we'll see, one of her main things that she has in this bill, which is something that has failed miserably, has been implemented in a lot of different places around the country and has failed crazy miserably, which is a she wants to implement a national rent control over the whole country, not just like a citywide rent control in big oh, okay. cities. She wants to implement a law that you cannot raise the rent more than 3% year over year. And what this would do is the same thing that these laws do in the big cities, which you have New York and San Francisco being the examples of the most the most strenuous rent control that there is in the entire country, and them also being the most expensive places to live, the most homeless people, the worst conditions, the, the worst overall conditions for people in the country. And so we've seen this fail already, and she uh, evidently wants to see it fail on an even bigger scale. And the problem is with rent control is that it's 
it, you can say rent control, and, and the reason they call it that is because that makes you feel good, because it makes you feel good about rent. What this is, is a price control. That's what it is. It's a price control in the market. And price controls never work. Price controls inevitably lead to shortages all the time. What they've seen in, in New York, and uh, this will be the number the the first time I've mentioned basic economics in this current podcast episode, but uh, he spends hours talking about rent control in that book. Um, <clears throat> what you've seen in New York and San Francisco is that people will eventually stop investing in building new housing, new apartments, new places that they're going to rent, because when they're operating in a... <clears throat> Because when they're operating in a controlled market, then they can't ever calculate for the risk of what happens. What happens if expenses go up for me? What happens if they raise the taxes on me? What happens if I don't have as many people renting? What what am I going to do? They can't account for all of that. They're, they have a fixed amount that they can charge for the items. So what they end up doing is these investors, people who put a lot of money into this, they just decide that they're going to put their money into something else. And that that might sound like, well, those people are terrible and they're and, and you know, that doesn't matter. What matters is in rent control, when people decide to put their money somewhere else, it means people end up going without a place to live. It means that people end up being homeless. Like it's you know, it's no joke. This is a real thing. There are enough vacant buildings in New York right now to house all of the homeless people in New York. Yet legally no one can live in there because of all the rent control laws. Mm-hmm. They set these specifications on everything that you have to provide to everyone who's renting, every all the amenities that you have to have, and eventually people say, "Well, for standard for a standard rental rates, I just can't afford to put my investment money into this." Um, what they end up doing is, if they are going to build places. They only build really, really nice places because those are exempt from the rent control laws because they can charge really high amounts of money for them. So then you end up having investors only invest money in things that no one can afford except for super rich people, which is what's happened in New York and San Francisco. So it's it's just you can say that you want to control rent to help people, and I understand your desire to want to do that. But this law does not help people. What what helps people is allowing the market to work so the money can go into the right places. That way people can know that they can adjust their prices accordingly, and you'll have more people pour in to investing into that market. When you decide you're going to control the prices, they all leave. And this is hard to quantify because you never – it's like the job that never that was never created. You don't know that it was never created because you didn't know that that person was going to make that choice, right? Yeah. You know, it's like – I mean, with the taxes that I pay for this business, uh, we could hire somebody else. Like I could provide a job right now, but I can't because I'm forced to take that money and give it to the government. Yeah. So that's a job that was never created that could have been created, but because I was taxed, I'm not allowed to create that. And so this is the other thing is like, you don't see the new buildings going up or the potential investments that could be happening. So it's hard to quantify that and say, oh, well, you know rent control or price control is wrong because there's no data to back it up or whatever, you know, so people will have that type of opinion, but this actually really happens. And it's been proven like Nate said in San Francisco, New York. And there's like, I don't know, 30 chapters in basic economics on this. He spends a long time (laughs) in that, in that book on that subject. It's, it's a proven concept that price control, rent control, whatever it is, it doesn't work and only leads to worse conditions. If, if you're so sorry, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, this is completely opposite, I would say, of a just society. Yes, it is very uh, unfair, and it will, uh, <laughs> just like all of those type of socialist policies, it will hurt the people that it is aiming to help. If you actually want to help people who need a place to live, you could consider uh, taking away all of the rules and regulations and taxes that go along with building new places for people to live. Maybe you want people to be guaranteed uh, a 2019 air conditioning unit and uh, broadband internet access and the rental and um, all of these different amenities that you can that you can name. So maybe you want to you want to enforce that you can't build any place that has any of those items. And maybe that makes you feel good. But the alternative is no places get built and those people end up living under a bridge somewhere instead. And that's not better. It's it's definitely not better than what they could be living in. You've even seen like city ordinance and stuff ban all the tiny homes and stuff. You yeah. Know? Like, oh, well, we're just going to ban. It's like, okay, so who are you actually really trying to help? Yeah. The people who build uh, bigger places is right. who you're trying to help. Right. They do that. Exactly. There was a, st- I can't remember what the podcast was, but um, it might have actually been on, uh, might have actually been on Stapleton's podcast, but he was interviewing the guy that uh, built the tiny homes in LA. Um, somewhere in California, and he went to a city council meeting, and they asked him how much it would cost to keep building these tiny homes for people. And he said, well, it would cost about $500 per home. And he said they adjourned the meeting, and the guy took him out, outside, out back, and he said, do not ever say that in the meeting again. He said, nothing costs $500. She's like, you you put that through us, and, and they ended up going with plans that cost, you know, tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars of per course. unit instead. Of course they did. So they're not looking for an actual economic efficient option. They're doing what best suits them. Yeah, exactly. So the next one here, uh, welfare. AOC wants to make welfare officially available to anyone regardless of their citizenship status. So this, you know, it's not how she worded it specifically, but you'll see headlines from from Fox News and everyone saying that she basically she wants to make all government services, including welfare, Medicare, Medicaid, all of these things will be available to illegal immigrants. So there's a bit of moral conundrum here because we don't exactly have a problem with immigration. No, not at all. Whatsoever. We, we, you know, and this is actually something that Charlie and I are a little bit, a little bit different on. Although mm-hmm. I, I think uh, morally and big picture wise, we have the same vision um, but anyway, aside from that, uh, we're okay with people coming into the country and in the easiest possible way that they can get here. There's uh, an immigrant is not a negative on society, on society, unless they were taking from the system and not yeah. putting back in. That's the only way that they're negative. The more people we can get here, as long as they're not living off of the government dole, then they're a positive. They're a net benefit. The, exactly. It's, it's the more people we can get here, the better. The, that's more people producing value for other people. Right. So the issue here is, and I put this in parentheses after this line in the notes, does math even matter anymore to this? Because <laughs> this is the image I have. She wants unlimited benefits going out to basically be available to up to 7.5 billion people and... Uh, does not want to worry about where that money's going to come from wh- whatsoever, who's going to pay for it. She still thinks that the, <clears throat> the 1%, 1%. The 1% are yeah. going to be able to pay for this. So is there, any, is there any consideration for any kind of economic math behind these situations anymore? 
I don't honestly think there has to be any more on yeah. the left. Yep. You don't have to follow the rules of mathematical computation because <laughs> they're racist, you, by the way. Calculators are exactly. So, yeah. You know, numbers, they're racist. Um, yeah. And if you try to follow them, then it's just it doesn't work for the plan that you want. So what you do is instead of altering your plan, you just get rid of the numbers. Yep. That's because the problem. that way your plan can work. That's the problem is the numbers. Right. Uh, so, yeah, this idea, I mean, if you just think about it, it doesn't matter how you feel about immigration. Is it possible to give unlimited benefits to an unlimited amount of people um, based off of money that's just coming from the billionaires in America? Like, is that mathematically possible? No. No, it's not. So, like, have we gone so far that that, that doesn't matter anymore? It's insane. Well, and we already have a welfare problem. There's yeah. already there's already an issue with the unfunded liabilities that we currently have. Well, the Medicare says, well, we know Social Security is is out of money. The Medicare is the same way. I mean, when people talk about Medicare, they say, oh, that's not an entitlement. We paid into it. First off, entitlement is something that's owed to you. So it's the very definition of an entitlement, actually. The actual definition of the word right. is something that you are owed. Um, but anyway, um, Medicare, people think, well, I paid into it, therefore I should be able to get it back. But on average now, we're seeing people are, are receiving three times the amount of money that they ever paid into the system. So it's already, it, it's going broke. And we, we were even talking about that. We had that Neil Cavuto video on there where he said, mm -hmm. you know, you couldn't, if you took a trillion dollars, if you took all the income and taxed it 100% from all of the 1%, the you, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't even be able to fund Medicare for, for three years. Right. So After three years, you run out of money. We're, we're already out of money on that. And we're already heading towards a cliff with the current entitlements that we have, that, let alone adding a bunch of new ones. So uh, I don't know. We, we really have to focus on trying to stop these kind of policies from being implemented. But uh, do you want to do the, uh, the other one too? There's really only one other one I picked out that was interesting. No, go so ahead. It's, uh, what she wants to do is redraw the poverty line. So right now, your federal poverty line, I don't know the exact number, just say $19,000. So if you make less than $19,000... Depends on how many kids you got and stuff yeah. like that. You're, you're probably, yeah, based on the amount of kids you have, dependents, and all that, all that kind of stuff. So there's a number that they use for the whole country, and she wants that to be redrawn uh, based on your location, which uh, partly makes sense on that part of it. But then she wants it to take into consideration... Uh, whether or not you should be considered as living in poverty if you can't afford to buy broadband internet, you can't afford internet access. And keep in mind the UN poverty line, so this is global poverty, is less than a dollar ninety a day, which yeah. equates to six hundred ninety-three dollars and five cents and fifty cents. Yeah. So my point on that is just think about how amazing we have it in the United States that we're talking about redrawing the poverty line to in include people who can't afford high-speed internet. Like, if you can't afford that, then you're in poverty, uh, versus what people around the world have to deal with as far as poverty is concerned. They don't eat. Yeah, uh, no, not enough money for food. Or shoes. Yeah. The, uh, Water. You have no shelter. shelter. <laughs> all, all those kinds of things. Yet, clean bathrooms. In America, like we're, we're oppressed if we can't afford the right high-speed internet. Yeah. And that just goes, I mean, we really have it awesome over here. We, we have it 
so amazing con- compared to a lot of other places around now, the world. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to address those problems, but not through government fiat. No. I you mean, know, every, everybody deserves access to high-speed internet, I would say. Um, or not deserves. Everybody should have the ability to get high-speed um, internet access. But the way to do that is through lowering prices and competition and making people wealthier, changing their economic status, not reducing the poverty line so that we're giving out more benefits. Yeah, that's and so that's the the behind the scenes nature of this idea, which is redrawing that poverty line will automatically throw millions more people into what we would consider poverty in our country. And then they would also be eligible for all kinds of other government benefits. And then with our poverty level being up so much higher, we'd be able to talk about how we have to raise all of our taxes and do all of these other things that she wants to do. Now you did an article about this, not that long ago, maybe a couple months ago. Uh, how much money have we thrown at this poverty issue? When did the war on poverty start? Uh, well, te- uh, Technically, it was in the 70s, I believe, they started the war on poverty. I can't remember the number, but it is in the tunes. It's tens of trillions of dollars. Like 20 or 30 trillion. Yeah. It's a very high trillion amount of dollars that we've taken out of our society, out of the productive hands in our society, and put towards fighting poverty. This war. It's it's a battle. We're waging a battle. Waging a courageous battle against poverty. Now, what percentage of the population is still... In poverty, I don't know what the exact percentage is. It's something, but like, it's about the same. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah. It went during that time after like just say fifty trillion dollars that we taxed and put directly towards fighting poverty. Poverty. Um, that number went basically from like nine percent of the population to like eight point five percent of the population. Okay. So it it didn't help at all, actually. I would make the strong argument that if that money would have been left in the hands of people who were productive and innovative and creative, that we would have far more alleviated that system. You know, my vision of my vision of the U.S. without taxation, if we would have gone without it this entire time, looks similar to what you would see in a sci-fi movie in the year 2200. Like that's that's basically yeah. where, where I see we would be at. at we might that already be on Mars, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think we would. Yeah. Pretty sure. Um, We we would have already solved, you know, our emissions problems, all of our energy problems, all those things, if we would not have been taking the money out of productive people and putting it into non-productive uses. Uh, But this is the world that we live in. So in the world... Fight the good fight. In the world that we live in, by the way, um, if you were blind, you could sue a business for not making their website accessible to you. Hmm. Just so you know. I I don't know if I don't know if you knew that. Is there a specific case about this? There is. So uh, in this case, let me get the guy's name real quick. Um this is a blind man who is suing Domino's Pizza. Uh this guy's name is let's see. His last name is Robles. Robles. Uh Guillermo Robles, a blind man who is suing the company because their website is not accessible to blind people. So, if you if you are blind, which you could be, we've made this podcast accessible to blind people. Um, if if you are blind, then you know that when you go to a specific website, you can 
through using your accessibility section, which is a section on your iPhone, by the way, you can turn on your uh, vision impaired, um, and it will basically read through the website for you and give you options on how to navigate the website mm -hmm. if you're blind. So most businesses have their website this way. Uh, the problem is the specific business, Domino's Pizza, did not have their website this way. I would actually argue to the contrary. What's that? I would oh, say that most, most yeah, businesses right. actually, because, you know. Technically what, most, yeah, yeah the, not. 80 million jobs are provided by small businesses, and I can guarantee you almost all small businesses do not have, uh, what do you, how do you say, visually impaired. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a handicap accessibility on their yeah, websites. Yeah, on their websites. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's something like 30 million businesses in the U.S., and that's that's true. Uh, most of them probably do not have handicap accessible. We uh, maybe uh, the major ones. Us being one of them, I have not set that up on our website yet. So if you are visually impaired, <clears throat> do not go to GoodMorningLiberty.us yet. Don't do it. <laughs> if if you can hear me right now, do not go <laughs> to our website and try to read anything because you just you won't be able to. Now you can listen to some of the articles on our podcast where we have done audio versions of the articles, and I was doing that specifically for visually impaired people. Well. We wanted to make, we're very inclusive here. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> my, and it's not like I'm not laughing because being blind is funny or anything like that. It's just, it's a concept that, uh, a business has to, uh, think of every possible situation ever and conform to that or they get sued. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have a lot of questions from this, but this idea now, this goes to the old idea, that do you have a right to another person's service? Do you, do you just inherently have a right to someone else's service? Because th now this is carried under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, I don't know what year that was implemented, but, you know, basically a standard than that is that if you build anything, any kind of business, it's got to be uh, wheelchair accessible. Um, you got to have, you know, the sidewalks that have to have ramps and all these kinds of things. Those, those are all great things. For sure. But now this is being applied to people's websites. And so that it just makes me want to ask the question, is, do you actually have a right to someone else's service? And is this kind of similar to the whole bake the cake issue uh, in some kind of way? I see it as similar to that. So I, I don't know. I know it's not the exact same situation, but I do kind of see along the same lines. It's it's do you have a right to provide service to every single person that demands that you provide them with a service? It actually reminds me of the uh, PGA tour case that already went to the Supreme Court um, that I believe got passed. And uh, it's one of my favorite dissents by Scalia, the late Justice uh, Antonin Scalia. And so what happened was is uh, basically a handicapped golfer sued the PGA tour for their rules, saying that you had to walk the course to play their game and you couldn't ride in, ride in a cart. And so Scalia wrote a scathing, hilarious dissent, um, and I'm going to pull some of that up while we're talking through this, about how, why is it the government's job to decide the rules of the game, like for, for a game that you have to qualify to play? Yeah. And, and you might think at first, like, well, blind people should have access to being able to order pizza just like everyone else. And my, my automatic argument to that is, there are plenty of other pizza providers that this that this person could have gone to. So to me, it is that's where I drew it in simil in similarity to the bake the cake issue because I do believe 
uh, the people who sue, who sued that bakery were looking for a bakery that would refuse them service. The, there were plenty of other places that they could have gone for a cake. And the issue I saw with that case was that it was drawn along the lines of n- being able to refuse service on your religious beliefs. And so the issue with that is that I get you being able to refuse service going along your religious beliefs. The problem is that that doesn't need to be the case. Like the case needs to be the fact that you should be able to interact and conduct business with anyone that you want to, and that you should not be forced to interact or conduct business with anyone that you do not want to. So you don't have to provide a service to anyone that demands you provide them with a service. I want to read some of this dissent from uh, the late Justice Antonin Scalia regarding the PGA Tour case about the same kind of thing, being sued for uh, not adhering to or not uh, being a game that can be played by a handicapped person that needs to ride in a golf cart because part of the PGA Tour rules is you have to walk the course. And so he said, uh, if one assumes, however, that the PGA Tour has some legal obligation to play plastic to play classic platonic golf and if one assumes the correctness of all the other wrong turns the court has made to get to this point then we justices must confront what is indeed an awesome responsibility it has been rendered the solemn duty of the supreme court of the united states laid upon it by congress in the pursuance of the federal government's power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and to decide what is golf I am sure that the framers of the Constitution, aware of the 1457 Edict of King James II of Scotland prohibiting golf because it interfered with the practice of archery, fully expected that sooner or later the paths of golf and government, the law and the links, would once again cross and that the judges of this august court would someday have to wrestle with that age-old jurisprudential question for which their years of study in the law have so well prepared them. So in that case, Scalia obviously uh, did not think that the PGA had to make their game accessible to people who could not walk the course. That was his opinion. I think he lost this one, though. Yeah, I would say so. So just but, you know, just <clears throat> as the judges had to wrestle with the courts one day deciding golf again. Yeah, they knew they would have to wrestle the framers. They knew they would have to wrestle with websites like Domino's <laughs> to make sure that you could deliver pizza there's accordingly. A, there's a lot of questions I have about this because, you know, like we already mentioned the small businesses, how many people would be open for a lawsuit right now because their website isn't navigable by someone who's blind? You know, it, it can get really ridiculous here. At what point do you, what line do you cross where your business must provide this service to everyone who's blind? Are we, you know, should you not be able to start a website unless you make it handicap accessible? Now, did the other thing is, too, I want to know, like, did he make a request to Domino's to say, hey, I can't, you know, read your website and an order off of it? I, I don't know. Um, you know, because he could say, hey, Siri, my phone will probably pop up. Yep, it just did. Both of ours did. Yep. How did I activate yours? It I, should I don't only know. recognize my voice. She seems kind of sensitive today after the update. So just saying, hey, Siri. Okay. I found this on the yeah, see, he activates all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but but just by saying that, I could have said call Domino's, and it would have called whatever store, and you can make a request and be like, and this is what the free market can decide to do. Now, if you have a request from a blind person saying, hey, I really like your stuff, and I would love to consume your things, and it would be easier for me if you could, you know, translate your website into a a 
version or give me an option, uh, at least a limited view or whatever it could be to where I could uh, consume what's on your online content and be able to make purchases easier. What business wouldn't jump at doing that? Yeah. And it's probably something that they were going to do eventually anyway. You know, this whole website thing and being able to order everything online and get it delivered. I mean, this is only a few years old that you've been able to get on a website and order delivery right. for pizza. I mean, this is not that old of a thing. In fact, I think you can even send a pizza emoji text message to Domino's and they'll <laughs> whatever your favorite order is. And it, it, well, I mean, how long has that been around? And is that available to the blind? Just it, can you say pizza emoji into your text messages? And what what if you're deaf and blind? Do you not have any rights at that point in time? Because then your website would be extremely inaccessible. You can't listen to it or read it. So where's that lawsuit? Because I assume that someone who's deaf and blind also has the same rights as everyone else. What if you're deaf, blind, and mute? Then you couldn't even call. I know. Why doesn't Domino's have to send someone to your house voluntarily to feel your order? Right. You know, like how are they going to, how are they going to fix this problem? So this is where we get into a whole problem of subjectivity. It's, it's all subjective all the time. And like we said, this is only a few years old that you've been able to get on a website and order delivery. So do people's rights change over time? Because why didn't you sue Domino's in 1975 for not being able to order pizza on their website? You know, And would that case have ever gone anywhere? Yeah, it, it wouldn't have because that would have been ridiculous, although that's what you're saying. You're saying that I... I, as a human being, have the right to order pizza on your website. That's it's what like, you're saying. It's like me suing SpaceX right now because they're not offering commercial flights. Yeah. And you can think of any number of things. <laughs> that, you know, it's tough because you'd have to come up with inventions in this in this funny section right here. But, yeah, I mean, why aren't you suing them? Why aren't you suing them because you have to spend 12 hours getting to China when they have to provide you a way to get there in 30 minutes? Right. You know, that that's ridiculous. So, I mean... Just to clarify, like I'm not saying that people who are handicapped, whether they're blind or deaf or whatever, sh- shouldn't be able to use websites or we shouldn't make them accessible to everyone. But it start- in fact, it, you should. Yeah, actually, everyone should do that. You should have handicapped spots in front of your business. Make it easier for those customers to get into your business. You should do all of those things because it's best for your business. Yeah, but should you be legally required to do that? No, no, because. What this does, it, it can hurt people who have small businesses. Like, do you have any, which they've made it easier now, thank God, but let's just say three years ago, four or five years ago, it was a thing that you had to make your websites available for people who were blind. Do you know how hard that would be for, for a small business who's starting just starting up and making a website to also make it accessible for that? I mean, You're now just... it's, it's built in, but that's a new thing. Yeah, and then you lose out to the competition. Yeah. Because you can't afford to have an expensive website developer go in and translate everything into a a visually impaired um, consumption. And what about uh, so now we're saying, you know, you're blind, so obviously you're at a you're at a disadvantage uh, as far as uh, especially as far as being able to see things goes, but um, you're at a disadvantage in our society. What about all the other disadvantages? You know, right now I can rarely afford to go get a steak at Ruth's Chris right now. They're not making that uh, available to me like it is available to all of their clientele. It's not available to me. What about short people that can't reach the top shelf in Walmart? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Walmart they, should be sued, probably. Probably. 
yeah. for not making it easily accessible. What about you? There's a lot of doorways where you have to bend down to go through them. Yeah. Because you're so freaking tall. It's height discrimination. It is. And so, like, everyone's got these different things. And, and obviously, not making light of being blind, that's a terrible thing. But we've all got to deal with some kind of a disadvantage when it comes to getting some kind of service from someone. I would mm-hmm. really love a Tesla right now. I can't get one yet. Other people can get one. Therefore, I'm going to sue Tesla. You know, that it's, it's, it's a ridiculous concept that we, that we have to force people to provide you some kind of service. Is this your passive-aggressive way saying that you need a raise? Yeah, I was looking you in the eye when I said that. <laughs> I would really like a Tesla. I just don't make enough money for yeah. one because my boss... That would be a true representation of someone starting their own business because you would be like trying to make sure you can make payroll and I would be like picking out the interior of my Tesla and and driving it to your house every day. That's just a great representation of what it's like to start a business. That's right. For sure. But no, this is the issue with subjectivity. There's no basic principle that goes behind everything. When when you look at the, the PGA case or the bake the cake case, the underlying principle should be that you cannot force someone to provide you any type of service. You are not you do not have a right to someone else's time anytime you decide that you want that that right or Healthcare. their time. It doesn't matter what it is. There's an underlying principle that I can't force you to give you my, to give me your time. And if that were the principle, then we wouldn't have all of this subjective nonsense where we can have these different court cases where, I mean, just think about how ridiculous it is. He's suing when he could have gone to a different pizza place. He could have gone to Pizza Hut's website. You know how I know he could have done that? Because if he couldn't have, this would be called the Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John's, Little Caesars, uh, Jets lawsuit. Mm-hmm. No, he could have gone to any of those places that offer that. He found the one place that didn't offer it. He saw an opportunity. Well, he didn't see an opportunity, but he found an opportunity. Or his lawyers did. Yeah, he, he found an opportunity to make some money off of this, just like the people who were suing the bakery when they obviously could have gone somewhere else to get a cake. You know, it, it's, it's, just a, it's just an avenue for people to be able to take advantage of our crazy subjective system. And just so you know, whatever money he wins, that's just going to be packed into the price of the pizzas in the future. Yeah, everyone's going to pay for that. <laughs> Everyone pays for that, not just Domino's. And whatever they pay, I mean, let's say that they made the option, let's say the court case, the court ruling said this, by next month, your website has to be available to people who are blind. Now, that's what the court case should be. That's what it should say. What it's actually going to say is, we need you to pay this guy $50 million. That's what it's actually going to say. Because you should have known. Because you should have known. Whereas the, the actual problem, you know, they, they'll fix it now because they don't want more court cases. But if you were actually concerned with fixing the problem, then you would order Domino's to change their website. And there wouldn't be any money needs to change hand. The Domino's would give the guy a whole bunch of pizza coupons because he missed out on a freaking pizza at one point in time. So now he's owed millions of dollars. You know, so they would give him free pizza for the rest of his life, and the situation would be fixed. That's not the that's not the goal here. The goal is to make a lot of money. That's that's really right. all it is. Now, Nate, being the high stature man that you uh, present yourself to be, I bet on occasion uh, your wife probably enjoys a nice, uh, delicious massage. Back massage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Didn't know where you were going with that, but yeah. Now, 
that's not fair to all the other ladies that you spend your time giving your wife a massage. I know. And not that's a disservice. It is. Now, it, you have subjected yourself to many, many lawsuits. I have. Because it's quite unfair. I provided that service for her. Yeah. I should provide it to everyone. Nearly free of charge, you provided it to her. There were trade-offs. Right. Yeah. And But now everyone else misses out, and they're at a disadvantage because they're not married to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, this is, where, this is your logical conclusion that you come to. So where do you draw a line on all of this subjective nonsense? I don't think we can, at, man. There's 30 million businesses. At what point is your business... Uh, subjected to this kind of lawsuit or this kind of a law. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to draw that line somewhere. Your local pizza place that just got their website going last week. Now, can they be sued for $50 million because a blind person can't get on their website and yep. order pizza? It's crazy. Well, in the words so. of uh, Donnie Baker, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really do have to go. Go pick up my son. Uh, he's about done with daycare, so well. Good luck with a, that. Uh, you know, it's a good day to go pick him up. Do you want and, me to play us out in my best Southern accent? Yeah, Nate, go ahead and play us out. I just I wanted to tell everybody really quick: hit that subscribe button, yeah. and uh, if you feel like it, which you should, leave us a rating and review. You should definitely do that. Go to GoodMorningLiberty.us/shop to shop all your favorite Liberty items. Well. Let me just tell y'all real quick. Now, me and that, me and uh, Charlie are doing this here show from Yeehaw. Nashville at all times. And I'll see you later there, Charlie. We'll, I'll see you in the morning. But here's what we need you to do. We need you to go to our website, goodmorninglibertyus and we need you to read all of our great, our great articles on politics and economics. They're all just great on there. We've written a lot of good ones. We get a lot of great information from fee.org and places like that. So you can just get on there and read. All kinds of great stuff about economics. And if you want to tell your friends about this podcast that we're doing right here from Nashville, Tennessee, well, we sure we sure would appreciate it. You can follow us on Instagram at Good Morning Liberty on Twitter at Good AM Liberty. Look us up on Facebook at Good Morning Liberty and go to our website. If you all do all of those things, leave us a rating and review. We surely would appreciate it. If you all do all those things, we'll see you right back here tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.